we are starting a new series today, Rewind, and it's Rewind 2022. You may remember last January, November, we also did the brief Rewind series. This is a series where we look back and we kind of review and remember some of the things we've learned during the year. Okay, it's always good to look back and to be reminded. And of course, it's not too late to still make some course adjustments before the year is over. Now, the, the most recent series you did, I think the memory is still fresh. You know, we, we, we did those, those weird stories, you know, and you did the Coffee Mug Christianity, and of course, the whole series on Galatians. And so we're going to go to, towards the beginning of the year, and we're going to cover two broad themes. We're only doing a two-part series. It's going to be a short series this Sunday and next Sunday as we rewind. And we're going to just cover two broad themes. The first one will be growth principles, and that will be in next week's rewind. In the beginning of the year, we did a number of messages on growth principles. And so next week, we're going to take a look at that. But today, we'll, we'll review some of the things we learned about love and relationships in a message called, well, love and relationships, okay? Uh, because, you know, it, it is good to talk about faith, but, um, you know, faith works through love. And so in the beginning of the year, in fact, in the month of February, we did a message called XOXO, you know, kisses and hugs, all right? And uh, we spoke about, about love. It took a whole month, and actually I'm going to base today's message on that whole series that we, we did, Again, um, love and faith, they go together. You cannot love God and, and, and have faith in God without somehow relating to the people around you. And so in that message, in that series, we looked at four kinds of love or four kinds of love relationships. And there they are. We looked at love your neighbor, love your friend. Love your enemy. That was a tough one, eh? And then, of course, love your spouse. And believe me, they are not in increasing levels of difficulty, okay? From one to four. Just saying, okay? But those are different love, different types of love that we have to apply. And the Bible gives us guidelines for all of them. We all have to deal with with the first three. We all deal with people, <laughs> okay? Unless you live in an isolated island or unless you're one of those guys that you're, you, you work at home on a computer and you never see anybody. You never talk physically to anybody. It's just messages and pictures. But even there, you still have to deal with people. And so we all have to love our neighbor. We all, hopefully, have friends. And we must learn to love those people. And sometimes our friends are difficult to love, right? Yeah. But then, of course, I know nobody has enemies, right? And then the Bible has to tell us to love our enemies. Like, why? Huh? But anyway, we're going to review today these three, uh, these, these kinds of love, these four loves. And um, the world needs, the world needs love. More than anything that we need in this world, we need love. And the world needs the love of God demonstrated through God's people. Yeah, that's you and me. Okay, if, if the world cannot be loved through God's people, how are they going to know love? 
You see, God is love. God doesn't have love. The Bible says that God is love. And as children of God, God has placed placed His love in our hearts. Now it's up to us to take that love that's inside there and bring it out here and do something with it and show people. Now, as this year has gone by, I have witnessed the collapse of relationships due to not loving according to what we learned in this series in February. And you have seen it too. You've probably seen it, well, you've seen it in the news. Seen the state the world is in, the wars, the collapses, and so forth. What is that? Lack of love. These loves, if I can say it that way, have not been practiced. Loves towards the neighbor, towards your friends, towards enemy. How many, how many friendships do you know, are you aware of, that were just broken this year? And sometimes for stupid causes. Huh? Somebody did something, somebody said something, maybe carelessly, and boom, that was it. Bam, big explosion, friendship gone. How many of you know that people, instead of loving their enemies, they want to have revenge upon their enemies? That's why you've got wars in the world today. You know? And how many homes, in terms of husbands and wives, have you watched this year collapsing? Maybe at your place of work, maybe in your, in your family, maybe people that you know. And of course, the news is filled with these things. Collapse of love relationships. That's the result. But now, you and I don't have to agree on everything to love each other. Is that right? As neighbors, as friends, as church members, even as spouses, you don't have to agree on everything. And in terms of people, you don't have to like everybody. It's okay. We're all different. We have different tastes. So you don't have to like everybody, but you do have to love everybody. How's that? <laughs> and we'll get to that. We're going to find out, how can I love somebody without liking them? Well, let's look at, at love your neighbor. Okay, let's look at love your neighbor. That's the, the first we did. Now, Jesus said we are to love God with all of our heart, okay, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. What is he saying? Love God with your whole being, spirit, soul, and body. You are three in one. God made us into, according to his image and likeness. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. He made you three in one, spirit, soul, and body. And we are to love God with our spirit, that inner part of ourselves, that part of us which worships, that part of us which has a conscience. You are to love God with our soul, with our mind, with our thinking, with our choices. And you are to love God with our body. You know, you carried yourself to church this morning, amen? You, you're sitting down to watch this, uh, this, this broadcast. You are listening, taking time to listen to this audio. You, you, you carried yourself to this position. And that's what we do. As we volunteer, as we serve God, as we serve in the church, as we serve our communities, we are serving God with spirit, soul, and body, with our mind, with our talents, with our gifts, with our positions. We are wholly loving God and serving Him. Amen? That's loving your neighbor. Jesus said you must love God with everything, but then He says, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first, but then Love your neighbor as well. Love your neighbor is what we all should do. It is a starting point 
from which all the other loves flow. Your neighbor can become your friend, or your neighbor can become your enemy. Your friend can become your spouse. So can you see? Loving your neighbor is the starting point of all those other loves, but you have to understand that you have to love your neighbor. And now Jesus used the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate what loving your neighbor looks like. And true love is not based on feeling. That Samaritan guy that helped the guy on the side of the road, remember, first of all, the priest and the Levite came past, and they were too busy to help that guy, you know, too scared or whatever. Then the Samaritan guy comes along, and, and he helps the man. And he took time, he took effort, took some money, you know, to, to help this person. And sometimes loving our neighbor requires that from us. Sometimes it requires us spending some time. It requires effort. It's a choice that we have to make. It requires awareness, being aware of our neighbors. We, we live in such a, a rushed world, in such a self-centered world, sometimes we don't even take notice of the person at the counter when you're paying for our groceries. We arrive there, and gone. Don't take time to look at the person's eyes and say, hey, good day, how are you doing? Right? And sometimes we can make a difference in somebody's life just by noticing them, by being aware that they are present. And say, hey, how's it? Having a good day. Have a good one. You know, encourage them. It's amazing. Being neighborly to people. You don't have to know them. You don't have to invite them to your house for a dinner. No. <laughs> but just become aware of them. Okay? Become aware. Awareness. Effort. Engagement. And sometimes it requires fearlessness and sacrifice. It is based, love your neighbor, is based on agape love. A love that wants the best for the other. A love that is concerned with the interest of the other person. It's a selfless love. It's a kind of love that God has for us. God he had so much agape for us that he sent Jesus. And Jesus had so much love for us that he gave himself. So that we could be connected with God. God wants us. Yeah, he loves you. He wants you. Not only does he love you, but he likes you, and he wants you to spend eternity with him. Jesus wants to, to take you up to his home and, and, and brag about what he's got to you. <laughs> he said in that prayer in John 17, Lord, I, where I am, I want them to be. I want them to see where I am and what I do. <laughs> God loves us. And we need to allow that same love that's got for us to flow to those around us. In fact, Jesus said, we must love our neighbor. Now, this is, listen to this. Jesus said, we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, if you have no healthy self-love, self-respect, okay, it will reflect in the way you deal with others. Okay? Just says, love others as you love yourself. There is a healthy self-love. It's not egotistic. It's not pride. It's not self-centeredness. But it's a healthy way of looking at yourself 
and knowing who you are, knowing your worth, knowing that you are valued and that you are valuable. If you don't know that, you're either going to overcompensate or undercompensate in your relationships. Some people have a very negative self-image, maybe due to social pressures, maybe due to comparing themselves with others, maybe due to some trauma in their childhood, growing up years, whatever, disappointments, whatever it is. And they've got this, this, this negative self-image, they think they're worthless, and then they try to, to gain love, and they try to gain acceptance, and they'll do anything, including sometimes harming themselves and consequently harming others. Because of that low self-esteem, they assume things. They assume the worst. And often they jump to wrong conclusions about relationships. And they walk away from situations, walk away from people, walk away from jobs, from churches, from relationships, from homes, from whatever, opportunities. Because of that low self-esteem, they, they jump to conclusions, they don't want to have a conversation, and, and they, they lose out in life. Of course, the other, other side of the coin, the other opposite, is those who think so much of themselves, okay, that they think the whole universe runs around them, okay? And there, there is pride, there is a sense of entitlement, of, you know, of it's all about me, and this kind of love will cause them to use people instead of loving people. They are so focused on their goals and their achievements and what they want to do and they want to become, they don't care about those around them. That is not a healthy kind of self-love. That is dangerous. And so we have to be careful of all forms of wrong self-image and self-assessment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse uh, 3, it says the following, Do not think of yourself more highly than you should. Be reasonable when you think about yourself, be balanced. Don't overrate, don't underrate. And above all, see yourself through the eyes of God. Because that's what really matters. What are you saying here today? I am a child of God. If I believe that, if I know that, if I'm comfortable in that, <laughs> then what you think about me doesn't really matter, does it? Whether you like me and you think I'm this great guy or whether you don't like me and you think I'm worthless, <laughs> who cares about your opinion when God's opinion is what counts in my life? Now, it's up to me now what I'm going to do. Because if I believe that I am a child of God, loved by God, accepted by God, and you come and you like me and you exalt me and you think I'm the best thing in the world since sliced bread— if I love God, I'm not going to let that come and get up to my head and make me big-headed. I'm going to be reasonable. I'm going to understand. You know, probably you've never met anybody as wonderful as me in your life, and therefore you are exaggerating. Wait until you meet somebody that's really great, you know. Or if you break me down and say I'm worth nothing, I'm also not going to let those words hurt me I'm not going to let those words turn into retaliation and hatred and revenge. Because I understand. You're speaking out of brokenness. We are all broken. 
And we all make wrong choices sometimes, wrong conclusions. I have to stand in, well grounded in the love of God. Guess why? Because it is with God that I'm going to spend eternity. I'm going to know you for a few years on this earth. But our lives, come on, we come and we go. We come and we go. Right? But with God, I spend this life with Him and the whole of eternity. So it matters that I'm well grounded. Then from that base, I can then love my neighbor. Amen? And then the next love we looked at was love your friend. Love your friend. Loving your friend is a special type of relationship. Friendship. It's a special type of relationship that brings much joy. It can bring growth. And it's a relationship in which we trust somebody. It, it's good to know that you can trust someone. To know that you can be trusted. However, listen to this, guys. Studies show that one, listen, one out of every four of us in the world, one out of every four of us is walking around with no one to share our lives with. That's a study done by, you know, social workers in 2013, and it's still valid today. Can you believe it? Now, what does this mean? It's not saying that we don't have friends. We've got lots of friends. We've got a lot of people that we know. But we don't have somebody to share our lives. Somebody you can come in and be real, man. Pour your heart out. Talk about your fears and your, and, and, and your doubts and, and, and your weaknesses and your strengths. That you can say, listen, I'm feeling lousy today. I've got this thing. and yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because why? Today, when you talk to people, when you open up, you run the danger of tomorrow. It's on Facebook. Many pastors, you, you, you share your heart with them. Next Sunday, it's a sermon illustration. And everybody who knows you knows who the pastor is talking about. Okay? That's why I protect that. In this church, I don't use people's stories as sermon illustrations. If I'm going to use somebody's stories, I make sure they live far, far away. China, Canada, America. And I talk in generalities. Because people feel they cannot open up. They're bottled in. We are becoming a friendless generation. We are surrounded by friends. In social media, school, work, and church. But without true friends with whom we can be real. And share the deeper things of our lives. Without fear of being judged, rejected, and losing our friendship. Because you're unafraid. If you are real, if you really say what you're feeling, if you really talk about your doubts, people are going to say, what? You? You feel that way? You say, I see someone. No, man. How can, how can you? Oh, did, did, you, did, you, did you know? Did you know? That? <gasps> and nobody wants to go through that, right? So, The Bible describes friendship as a deep and intimate relationship that is much deeper than superficial connections. True friendship requires much more than fun times and common interests. A true and loving friendship involves love, sacrifice, 
loyalty, and emotional involvement. We looked at the friendship of David and Jonathan during that message, and, and there was a, a, a complete a example of complete loyalty and trust between the two of them. Their lives were in danger, and yet they could trust each other completely with their lives. But the, but the greatest role model of a friend, of course, is Jesus himself. Jesus calls us friends. Yeah, we call him Lord and Savior and God. Very true. But Jesus calls us friends. John 15, verse 13. Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Who did he lay his life down for? You and me. So what are we to him? Friends. Later on in, in verse uh, 15, he, he kind of emphasizes this. He says, I'm not calling you servants because a servant doesn't know what the master's doing. I'm calling you friends because I want to share with you everything that's going on. You are my friends. We have a relationship. So yes, we do serve Jesus, right? Yeah, he is our king. He is our Lord. He is, amen, he's all that. But he is our friend too, hallelujah. You are friends with God. You are friends with the king. You are friends with the Savior. That's how Jesus sees us. And we should take from them, from him, example of friendship. Hallelujah. And he showed us the depth of his friendship towards us by giving his life for us. So that we could be free from the burden of sin, from the captivity of sin, to have a relationship with God. Now, <laughs> this doesn't mean that we all have to go and die for our friends now, okay? That's not the lesson over here. But we certainly are being instructed to learn to treat our friends with the same love that Jesus treats us. The same patience? Is Jesus patient with you? I know he's with me. That I know. Oh, my goodness. All right? Treat your friends with the same patience, with the same margin of forgiveness. I'm always asking Jesus to forgive me. Every day, he's got to forgive me for something. You, pastor? Yes, me, pastor. And you too. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. And every time we come to Jesus, Lord, forgive me. What do we expect? We expect him to forgive us. Don't do it again. <laughs> but you're forgiven. Well, why don't we extend the same kindness to our friends? Let's forgive them. All right? <laughs> mercy. God shows us mercy. Let's show mercy to our friends. Amen? And that is loving your neighbor. But then the next one was a tough one. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Your enemy is someone who is hostile. An enemy is someone who is hostile to someone else, who feels hatred towards, who opposes the interests or intends injury to someone else. But we are commanded to love such people too. <laughs> you know, the rude fellow students or co-workers, those harmful individuals, those criminals, do you know that they are not exempt from the command that Christ gave us to love our enemies? <laughs> this is what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. Words of Jesus. But I say to you who hear, 
<laughs> and sometimes people say, oh, I didn't hear that. Oh, I don't want to hear that. This I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. How do you love your enemies? You do good to those who hate you. If you're able to do good to them, do good to them. Don't withhold the good that you can do just because he's your enemy. Hmm. Bless those who curse you. They cursing you. You dust you. Well, bless them. May God help you. May God be with you. May you prosper. May you find salvation. May you find peace. You see, you bless them instead of made that happened to you ten times worse. <laughs> you don't curse them. <laughs> I've even heard people cursing other people in the name of the Lord. May you go to hell in Jesus' name. <laughs> Stuff like that. Come on. So you bless your enemies. And you pray for those who spitefully use you. So you pray for them. You pray for their salvation. God, bring them a moment of conviction. Now listen, none of these things come naturally to us. Right? Not to me. Hey, I'm Latin, man. Okay? You prick me, I explode. I want to go for you. Hmm. And I, I've got a feeling this, is, this just doesn't happen to only Latin people. Yeah, it happens to all of you. The minute somebody tramps on your toe, you want to go right back at them. None of things come, come easy. And only with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do this. And when we understand that God himself is kind to the evil and to the ungrateful, our perspective about loving others can change drastically. And this can be difficult in this day, day and age. Because of the injustices. Because of the, the things we see in the world. But Christ says it can be done. And so we must trust the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to help us to do it. Loving our enemies is important because by doing so, we display the love of the Father. We must be merciful because God is merciful. Jesus brought up the issue of mercy repeatedly. And everyone wants mercy. The Bible tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment in James 2.13. Of course, we want mercy. And just like we want mercy from God, we must be willing to show mercy to our enemies. Giving mercy requires us to give up revenge and to hand the judgment over to God. That doesn't mean that we don't allow the law to have its course in people's lives when they are criminals, when they do wrong things. Every wrong thing has consequences. Remember, what you plant is what you reap. That's the biblical law. That's the law of the Bible, the law of the kingdom. You will reap what you sow. But it doesn't mean that you and I have to do something to hurt somebody else just because they are our enemy. Leave that to God because God knows how to deal with such people. Now, we should love our enemies, but we also learned in this lesson that we need to be wise. Some people are evil and do not want to change. And they will remain toxic. And they will want to hurt you intentionally. And so the best way of loving them is by putting distance between you and them, handing them over to the Lord and praying for their salvation. Loving our enemies doesn't mean allowing them to continue to hurt us. That would be a failure in terms of loving ourselves as God loves us. 
We can and must do what is in our control to protect ourselves while trusting God to step in. Loving our enemies means praying for them. Praying is an act of mercy. Praying is loving like our Heavenly Father. Praying changes our hearts. Jesus gave us example by praying for His enemies even as He was dying by their hand. Loving our enemies means seeing them as human beings in need of the Father's love. And guys, then as we're busy with this series, between this one and the next one in February, in the month of love, as February is known, doing a series on love, our world was rocked by the news that Russia had invaded Ukraine. Remember? It was like a shock to the whole world. And it just came to confirm the sad biblical truth that human beings are inclined to do evil. And that it's only the grace of God which is found in Christ, only by that grace, you can truly find peace. Listen, the world does not need religion. Russians, Ukrainians, they're all religious. But they fighting. Russia calls itself religious, but it invaded Ukraine. The wars that you hear in the, about in the world, religious people, Middle East, Muslim, religious, there's war. The world does not need religion, people. The world needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's different. There's a difference between religion and relationship. So let us continue to pray for peace in, in that region and other volatile regions in the world. However, listen, however, we need to understand biblical prophecy. And we are living days of biblical prophecy, end time biblical prophecy. And we need to understand that. And the reality that world peace will only truly come when Jesus returns to earth. Until then, we may see seasons of peace here and there. But inevitably, conflict and wars will continue to rise up. Amen? Okay. And that brought us to our last one. Love your spouse. That was the last one in February. Love your spouse. This is for you guys who are married, considering marriage. This is an important one. All right? And some would say, oh, this one is easy. You, you married your spouse because you love them. So loving your spouse is easy. <laughs> oh, it should be. But if it was easy to love your spouses and live happily ever after, we wouldn't see such a high rate of divorces as we do. We wouldn't see such a high rate of unhappy marriages as we do, including amongst Christians. Including in the church. There was a time in history when the divorce rate amongst Christians was tiny in comparison to the unbelievers. Today, it's about the same, unfortunately. Why? Because we're not loving our spouses according to the biblical pattern. That's all. And now, of course, this, this uh, session, this message that I gave on, on love your spouse, it was not a, a marriage enrichment seminar. There's lots one can say about this. So this message contains some guidelines on choosing your life partner because very often that's where it begins. When you choose a life partner, you make some mistakes there. And so we include some guidelines on, on that. And, and then we, based on Ch Genesis chapter 2, we focused on two down-to-earth things that every marriage needs. Two down-to-earth things that every marriage needs. Here's the first one. 
Love within a marriage requires connectedness, okay? Love within a marriage requires connectedness. In other words, your spouse should be the closest person to you on earth. Did you hear that? Ah, oh, what about my mommy? Nah. All right. Now, you know, you know about the first marriage, Genesis chapter 2. And even though it was the first marriage, only two human beings present, there are principles over there, universal principles that were established in that marriage. God saw that it was not good for man, for Adam to be alone. And so he made a helpmate compatible and comparable to him. He took one of Adam's ribs. It was the bone and the flesh. He took a piece of Adam out and he formed, he formed Eve. Okay. And he brought her to, to him. And then it says in verse 24 of that chapter that, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Adam and Eve didn't, didn't have father and mother present. But see, God is establishing a principle over here because after Adam and Eve, there would be fathers and mothers and children and, and so on. So it says, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Okay, so you leave and you cleave. The joining is cleaving together and they shall become one flesh. Togetherness, you see, connectedness. And they were both naked. The man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Take now, I'm going to come back to this. They were naked, but not ashamed. So the first point is clear. But listen, the one thing we can pick up right from the beginning here yeah, is that marriage, the union of one man and one woman for life, is God's idea. It is not a social construct. It's not something that humans invented along the way. No. God launched this from the beginning. When there was only one man and one woman, God instituted this thing called marriage between one man, one woman, together, forever. All right? Therefore, something which God established, which is holy, cannot be redefined like many politicians and lawmakers are doing today. And as Christians, we need to be aware of that. Amen? Marriage is only one definition. One man, one woman, united together under God forever. Anything else is not a biblical marriage. You can call it whatever you like. You can even call it marriage. But it's not. <clears throat> and then notice this. God did not remove, when God took that rib out of Adam, God didn't remove something out of Adam to correct him. Or to remove an imperfection. No. God took something out of him to create something beautiful to add to Adam's existence. Now, we don't know how long Adam was alone in that garden. Because God made him and then he took time naming the animals, walking around. I don't know. Was it days, weeks, months? We don't know. But when Adam sees Eve, something changes over there. Because now he passes out of solitude into society. He went out of being alone to now having to live in community. First as his wife, and then later on the children, and as humanity multiplied, more and more and more people. He has now to live connected with his wife. You see? And many face this challenge when they get married. You see, depending on how long you've lived alone before getting married, you may have difficulty sharing your life with your spouse. 
being connected, sharing everything. If you marry in your early 20s, you're bringing about 40 or, 40 or more years under the same roof. If you marry in your 30s, like 60 years coming under the same roof. If you marry in your 40s, like 80 years, a whole lifetime. You, you understand? So it's a lot of coming under the same roof, and now you've got to learn to do things together, to all surround together. Connectedness. It takes effort. It takes conversation. It takes transparency. Amen? And a truth that was repeated during the series is that true love is not only based on feelings or emotions, but it is a choice, a choice to put ourselves aside and love others when we don't feel like it or when we think they don't deserve it. And in marriage, we have chosen this person to be our spouse, our lifelong partner. And so the love that a married man and woman share for each other is based on this choice, is based on this agape as well. And it is a, it's a special love because it involves a large number of choices for each other. So most of my choices as a married man is for my wife. I've got to think about her. I can't just go and spend my money because it's not my money. It's our money. All right? I can't just go and get something because I... I've got to discuss with her. So a lot of choices is for each other. She does the same thing with me. She comes and checks with me. I want to do this. I'm going to go there. We have to do it together because we are connected. You see, connectedness is required. Your, your spouse should be the closest person to you on earth. So your choices should consistently and permanently be for each other. A lot of problems happen in marriage because they get married and then he continues living as a single man and she continues living as a single woman with her friends and him with his buddies and his sport and, and she with activities and, and he's got his money, she's got her money. And then one day there's problems in the relationship and they are far apart because they're not talking, they're not communicating, they're not thinking of each other, they don't know about what each other is doing. Listen, a marriage requires connectedness. Connectedness requires effort, intentionality into your marriage. Marriage is built on a commitment to sacrificially love one another, no matter the circumstance. Here is the second thing, down to a thing we need in marriage. Number two, love within a marriage requires intimacy. Intimacy. And you go like, duh. As obvious as it sounds... Sex within a marriage is a gift that God has given, which results in other gifts like children and pleasure. Now listen, some religious folk, <laughs> still today, believe it or not, some religious folk think that sex in a marriage is exclusively for procreation. And they keep each other separate. Only when they want kids, then they come together. Listen, uh-uh. it is wrong. Sex within a marriage is for procreation sometimes and for recreation all the time. I thought the men would like that. And so, ladies, this business of no. Uh-uh. Or men, the thing of, uh-huh, you do that. No, 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 no. Come on, guys. Men are a lot more lenient to, you know, to succumb than women are. 
But guys, understand this. Intimacy is part of marriage. Now, there can be problems. There can be real situations. There can be pain. There can be physical. How do you solve it? By talking about it and by dealing with it. Communicate. Talk about it. Find a compromise. But when there is talk and when there is love, you can find your recreation in marriage. Amen? And you can keep the intimacy. However, intimacy also involves vulnerability. We read, well, I mentioned just, just, just now that verse 25 states that they were naked and they felt no shame. Because the world is full of false standards that affect our emotional state. It affects the way we view our bodies and our worth. And the result is, it affects our marriages. It's a sad fact that some husbands and wives are ashamed of some aspect of their being. Of their physical being. Of their appearance. Of maybe their status. Of their social standing. And they allow shame to become a wall that interferes in their relationship. And they shut down emotionally, or they stop communicating, or, or they find endless excuses not to be intimate with their spouse. Listen, Jesus died, among other things, to take our shame away. If because of what Jesus did, we can stand without shame in the presence of God, then come on, people, surely we should be able to stand without shame in the presence of our spouse. Loving our spouses means accepting them for all they are, whether their physical nakedness or their emotional nakedness or otherwise. But one thing is required. Both husband and wife must understand the love and the grace of God. Receive it from Him and extend that same love and grace to one another. Your spiritual intimacy, the intimacy of our hearts, with the Lord, is what will unlock other areas of our life. Amen? Well, looking back in the months that have gone by, how is it going with you? Eh? How is it going with you and the four kinds of love relationships? Love your neighbor. How's it going? How have you done? Love your friend. How's it going there? What about your enemies? Are you loving your enemies? Love your spouse. How's it going? If uh, rewinding back to February today reminded you of some things you need to give attention to in any of these areas, well, thank God for that, okay? And come to Him for help to align your life to His will. The Holy Spirit is there, ready and willing to assist you. It is not too late in the year to turn, to correct your course of action, and to love according to God's pattern. Amen? If you missed the series or if you want to go deeper into any of these four kind of love uh, relationships, please go to our website, okay, www.awakenlife.co.za, all right? And you can go to our sermon section and you can either watch it or listen to it over there. Amen? So, we're going to close in prayer. And I hope you go home and, and reflect a little bit on this. And uh, as I say, it's not too late in the year to do some course adjustments. Let's become aware of love. Next week, we're back here, and then we're going to talk about some growth principles 
growth in our faith, in our relationship with God. Amen? Let's stand and let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for these reminders, God. I know that with life happening and so much happening in our lives, so much happening in the world around us, (laughs) it is so easy, Lord, to lose focus of loving others. Whether it's our neighbor, our friends, our enemies, or our spouses, life can be so overwhelming, Lord, and we neglect your guidelines and your principles in loving. So, Father, we ask you for your forgiveness today. And we ask you to help us through the Holy Spirit to align our lives there where we've neglected in some area. Lord, help us to realign ourselves with your will, to position ourselves, Lord God, in a place where the Holy Spirit can help us and enable us to love as you love, O God. And we thank you for this, Lord. Bless your people, I pray. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of you as individuals and as families as you go into this week and you practice loving others, different kinds of relationships, according to God's pattern, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you want to know more about volunteering or church membership, pop into the back of the counter. Have a great Sunday, and see you next week for part two of this series. Amen. God bless you.